0: Let's let's go ahead and get started. Uh, People can come in as they uh, get here. Bob, can you open us in prayer?
1: Father, God, we thank you for this day. day set aside to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your guidance and direction in our lives. Help us now as we discuss
0: Man. Okay, we are on the last lesson of your church information booklets. Uh, lesson 9 um, What we confess about responsibilities in family, church, and society. So, your responsibilities extend into all areas of your life, family, church, and society. We see this in query number six of the Covenant of Communicant Membership, which states, or or asks the question, do you propose, or do you purpose to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in all the relationships of life, faithfully to perform your whole duty as a true servant of Jesus Christ and seek to win others to Him. Do you purpose to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in all the the relationships of life faithfully to perform your whole duty as a true servant of Jesus Christ and seek to win others to him. And so we first must go to uh, the kingdom of God. We must first consider that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And this is straight from scripture, Matthew 6. 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is also our King, and his commandment to us as subjects of his kingdom is to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. It's the Christian's duty to seek first the will of the Lord in all areas of life. All areas. In work, marriage, friendships, any other relationships you may have, You are to seek the will of the Lord in those things. Make the commandments of the Lord have first place in your life. Do not fear to do what is right in God's eyes, but what's hard for the flesh. The Lord's called you to obedience. The Lord has called you to faithfully keep His commands and to seek His will in all areas of your life. And so we are to do that. Jesus says, all these things that you need shall be added unto you. If you will seek out his kingdom first, we walk by faith in that promise. Christ has all power, as we see in Matthew 28, and he has the power to bless our obedience. We have nothing to fear when it comes to obeying the commands of the Lord. And I've said numerous times that the Lord blesses your obedience. And I said that specifically in, in context of speaking about our worship I've said it in our in our sermon series on worship that the Lord blesses those who are faithful to keep his commands, that he will bless our faithfulness. And the same is true in your life as well. The Lord will bless your faithfulness. We don't know what that blessing will look like. We don't know if that blessing may be taking you what seems to be prematurely from this life so that you are able to be freed from the pains of sin and death here in this world and be present with Him in glory. Maybe that's His blessing for you, for your obedience. Or maybe it's a long life with with a, a very fruitful ministry here on this earth. We don't know what His blessing is, but we have confidence that He will bless us. The kingdom of God permeates all areas of your life. There is not one part of your life that the kingdom of God does not touch. Christ as the King has sovereignty over your whole life. And so you must submit every aspect of your life to Him and seek to live in obedience to His commands Never forget who is king. It is Jesus Christ who is king. And we are simply his servants. Would a servant walk up to the king and say, I hate your commands and I'm not going to follow them. Or well, when the king puts down a decree, would the servant then look at his master, at his king and say, no, I'm not going to follow that one? Of course. Well, they can try it. They It's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. If, if your boss gave you A task to perform at work. Would you look him in the face and say, no, I'm not going to do that? Some of us may want to at times. But if we value our position, if we value our livelihood, value our job, we're not going to do that. Why then would we look at the King of kings and Lord of lords who has commanded this of us and say, I'm not going to. And you don't have to, you don't have to audibly say, no, Jesus, I'm not going to obey your commands. But does your life practically say I am my own ruler or does your life practically say I am in submission to King Jesus that's what's important not what your mouth says there will be many in that day who say Lord Lord He will look at them and say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Doesn't matter what your mouth says, you can say, Lord, Lord, has your heart been transformed by the Spirit of God? And is your life a life of obedience unto Christ? Not perfection but striving towards obedience. We must place the kingdom of God first in every aspect of our lives. And So let's look at seeking first the kingdom of God and the church. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Think about that for a second. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The church is the kingdom of God on this earth. It is the bride of Christ. And so you are to be a servant of the Lord and seek to serve His church. Being a member of this church, I don't care if you've been a member for 25 years or if you're considering becoming a member in the coming weeks. Being a member of this church Means that you are to serve the Lord by serving this church. And no one gets a pass on this. So we you tie the two together, we're a
1: seek first the of go God. And we're also a to seek the good of the church. So as we make our decisions, sometimes those decisions are makes the But, you know, God's problems But oftentimes we have decisions about where we're going to live and how will I be of service to God the most service to you. And sometimes those are So, what we ask you to do is to consider how I'm serving God and how I'm serving the church. What can I do? Uh, how, how, can I, how can I better serve the church? That doesn't mean you're an elder or deacon. It Means that you're available. or you're, hmm. first, There's things that need to be done around here, and that you, you want to pick up and But you're available. In
0: Yeah, it, it it means taking out the trash every week, like I see Brian do. That's service to the church. You know, it's it looks like coming up here and helping clean the church throughout the week before the Lord's Day, like Miss Pam does. It means, you know, making a meal for each Lord's Day for a fellowship meal. But it, it means more than just that, you know. Sometimes it means making big choices, big sacrifices. Sometimes it means not taking that job that's in Chicago, that'll mean you have to move closer to the city and further away from the congregation. Sometimes it means selling your house that's an hour away and moving closer to the church so that we can have a closer community here and be able to do things together, not just on the Lord's Day, but throughout the week. Sometimes it means not getting those new clothes or that new car. Or, you know, going out to eat every day in order to actually pay a tithe unto the church. Let me correct that. In order to pay a tithe unto the Lord for the work of the church. That's what it means by seeking first the kingdom of God. It means the kingdom of God is the top priority in your life. And everything else comes second. So, uh, this is a contradiction to what we're often here in the world. So, all we are living in, what the, the world teaches us, stuff from the world.
1: it teaches us we're no it teaches us our jobs and, and all these different things. So, oftentimes, we move to a location based on the job rather than based on what God is. spiritually. So seeking towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness as we make decisions is a hard thing to do. And that's, we call it the narrow
0: path. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough man. Our choices are choices that are difficult. it may it may it may mean not going on that family camping trip that's over the weekend because you'll miss lord's day worship or not going out to eat with your family after worship because it's forcing others to to engage in commerce on the Sabbath seeking first the kingdom of God is Is a sacrifice if you look at it from a worldly perspective. Your family may not like you if you seek first the kingdom of God. Because that may mean that you're not going to be able to do some things with them that you've been doing for the last 30 years. Your friends may not like you if you seek first the kingdom of God. Because that may mean that you can't go out and have fun with them like you used to. Or you may have to move away from them and not see them as often as you used to. You know, are you are you willing to pick up your entire life and transplant wherever the Lord wants to bring you? for the sake of his church for the sake of his kingdom and we can use those two interchangeably kingdom and church because scripture uses them interchangeably and that's because the church is the visible kingdom of God on earth you know sometimes you're you're supposed to turn down that job promotion which would mean you relocating to another city. These are tough decisions that you have to make. But if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, they're not so tough. We just need to cast off our worldly mindedness. These are tough things to do. I've had to go through them myself. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that I've done this perfectly. But I know what it's like. I know what it's like to turn down a $175,000 job offer with the government in order to go to seminary and make $30,000 as a pastor. Those are tough decisions. But if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and you're obeying His calling, like we talked about last week with Jonah, then those decisions get a little bit easier and He'll bless them. Like Bob said, you may not be called to be an elder. You may not be called to be a deacon. But you're called to be a Christian and you're called to seek first the kingdom. And that has impact on your life. Look for ways that you can serve the church. Look for ways you can serve others within the congregation. If you know someone is going through something difficult, if they're sick or if, if they've had a loss of a loved one or something has happened, Find a way to serve them. Ask if you can make a meal. Ask them how you can pray for them. You're called to be servants of the Lord. Servants serve. I've already talked about this a little bit. Uh, but we ought to seek first the kingdom of God in our vocations, in our jobs, our careers. Colossians three twenty three And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. A vocation is a calling of God. A lot of people don't realize that. A vocation is a calling of God. Some of you have been called to serve in the tech industry or to serve in construction or to serve in education. Or to serve in retirement. Whatever your vocation is, that's a calling of the Lord. And you are to do it heartily, to do it with every ounce of power within your being. To give your best effort to your job. Because really, you're not doing it for men. Yeah, they benefit from it. And yeah, they're the ones that pay you. But you're not doing your job, your vocation for men. You're doing it unto the Lord. Your ordinary vocations must be understood and expressed as service to the Lord. Your work, your place in your family, your earthly citizenship, they're all vocations. Everyone here, you don't have to have a job. You can be a stay-at-home wife or a stay-at-home mom. You can be retired. You can be unemployed. But whatever the lot that you've been given in this life that takes up the majority of your time, whether that be at work or at home or working from home, is your vocation. And that is your calling at this particular time in your life. And you are to devote all of your power to doing it and doing it well. Seek to serve the Lord and seek first His kingdom in each of these callings. How can you be advancing the kingdom of God in your vocation? Every one of us interacts with people on a daily basis in some way or another. Whether that's just our wives or our husbands, whether that's our kids our co-workers, our bosses the little old lady at the grocery store or the high school kid that's checking you out every one of us interacts with people on a daily basis how are you using those interactions to advance the kingdom of God how are you using your job or your retirement or your investments for the kingdom of God. The Lord's gracious. He gives out of His bounty unto you. Everything that you have is the Lord's. The cattle on a thousand hills is the Lord's. They're all His. There's nothing that you own, that you possess, that is truly yours. It's been given to you by the graciousness of God. How are you using it to advance His kingdom? How are you using it to see others come to Christ? And that includes your time, your activities, your possessions, and your money. Like I said, God is gracious. He's given you all of this, all of these blessings. And all he requires of you is to render back 10% a tenth of those things that he has given unto you it's not yours anyway it's God's and he asks that you give it back to him in order for it to be used in the work of the church for the advancement of the kingdom um one of the one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given I don't remember who gave this to me, but he told me that when you're making out your budget, you've got your gross salary, your net salary, bills, and then disposable income. You always take what you're going to give to the Lord as a tenth of your gross salary. Because you're to give unto the Lord before Caesar gets his share. God gets the first fruits and then the government gets theirs and then you pay your bills and then you've got disposable income. And you, this isn't this isn't to try to, like, you know, guilt anyone or, or hound you into giving. Many of you are, are faithful givers, uh, and, and I thank the Lord for that. But this is something that we in our modern mentality just just have a have a bad time wrapping our heads around. We're so individualistic. We think everything that is mine is mine. No, it belongs to the Lord. Do all things according to the commandments of God, knowing that you serve Jesus in them. And now seeking first the kingdom in your family. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. This is the command of the Lord. That these things that the Lord has commanded us are to be taught diligently to our children, and we are to talk of them when we sit in the house, uh, when we sit in the house, and when we walk in the way, when we lie down and when we rise up. They're to constantly be part of our lives. What I want us to focus on is how that is to be done within the family. And one of the primary ways is through family worship. Our testimony in in section 21.9 says heads of families are responsible for leadership in family worship. If you're married, that's husbands. If you're not married and you're single and you're living on your own, then your family worship is essentially the same thing as your private worship. If there's not a husband in the home, then as we see in Scripture with Lydia, who is called, uh, who, who is is referred to as the one who to whom the household belongs, it's Lydia's household, the household of Lydia. So, if there's not a husband in the household, the wife is able to assume that head position. And leading in family worship as well. Well, let me tell you right now. Whether you're married. Whether you're single. Whether you have kids that live in the house. Whether you don't. If you are not leading your family In family worship, you are sinning. That's a bold thing to say. I didn't even know what family worship was until about 10 years ago. It's fallen so far out of practice in the modern evangelical church that we have generations, not a generation, we have generations who grow up who have no idea what family worship is. If you are the head of your household and you are failing To lead your family and family worship, you must repent. Now, it can be difficult, especially if it's something that's new to you. There are a lot of helps out there for how to do family worship. We're singles. if you are neglecting private worship, daily private worship, you're sinning. This is so important. This is how we raise up a generation of godly young children. This is how we see our congregation Grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. Because you're in the Word daily. You're being nourished. You're being fed. You're singing the Psalms. And you're praying unto your God. And remember, remember, God regulates His worship. It's the regulative principle of worship not the regulative principle of public worship. Your private worship and your family worship are just as regulated as the public worship there there it's regulated in a different way because here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 we see a warrant for a catechetical, teaching, because we're to teach these things unto our children. So it's warrant, it's regulated in a different way. You know, you're not going to have preaching. You're not going to have the sacraments administered. And if I find out that you are, then we're going to have a problem. But you can read the Word. You can explain it to your wife or to your children. You can pray together and you can sing a psalm a cappella. It's worship. Worship the Lord as He has commanded you to. And this doesn't have to be a long thing, it can be as long or as short as you want it to. But those of us with young families, with uh, young kids, it's usually about 15 minutes. Because that's really about as long as they can pay attention. It's long enough to read one Bible story, to sing a psalm, and to pray. But some of you, you know, it may be 15 minutes, it may be 20, 25, 30 minutes. It's, it's up to you. You know there's no set thing, set pattern for how long and what exactly must be done in this in this time of family worship other than reading scripture. Explaining, singing psalms, and praying. You may sing two psalms, you may sing three psalms, you may sing one psalm. You may have two prayers, you may each pray if it's a husband and wife, or you may only have one prayer led by the husband or the head of household. You may read a couple of verses. You may read a whole chapter. What's important is that you're doing this. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Don't make it some burden. Make it a joy. I remember sitting down with uh, Wayne Spear. And if you don't know him, he he's a former pastor and a uh, uh, former professor at the seminary, and he was uh, an elder at the church that I attended at in, in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. And I remember sitting down with him in his house and having dinner with him, and he was just reminiscing so fondly of the family worship that he had with his mother and his father when he was a child and the joy that that brought him and how much the Lord used that to cause him to grow and mature. That's what we should be seeking after. The joy of the Lord in our family worship in our private worship. What about public worship? Uh, If you have children, your children are part of the congregation, and so they are expected to be present in public worship. If you have children that are living under your roof and are under your authority, you have a responsibility to ensure that they are at worship. We deliberately uh, do not, we're, we're deliberate in not having separate activities for children during the corporate worship because they are part of the church and they are to worship alongside of us. But we do ask that you keep an eye out uh on mothers who may be struggling with their little ones and to help them uh, and alleviate their burdens. It makes me so happy week by week to see Miss Pam sitting over there next to my family and helping my wife try to keep control over my crazy kids. This is a covenant family. We are all part of a covenant family. We are all family. And if you become a member and a child is brought into the church and is, receives the sign of baptism, you will make a vow. On that day, to assist in raising that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Most people don't think about that and what that actually means. It means sometimes you got to get your hands dirty and change the diaper. It means sometimes you need to go sit over with them to help calm down the kids. That means sometimes you need to be the one that takes the crying baby downstairs and rocks her. And then there are responsibilities within your relationships at home. The responsibilities of the father are found in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. And they are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. That's a tall order. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. You're to wash your wife with the water of the Word. If you're not doing family worship, you're not washing your wife in the water of the Word. You're to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're to not exasperate those who are under your charge. And you're to provide Christian education for your children. And then there's responsibilities of the mother, also found in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. You're to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Oh man, there's one that our modern feminist culture hates. There's one that a lot of people in the church hate. You just submit to your husbands. That doesn't mean being a doormat. That means allowing him to lead the family. You're also to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're also to not exasperate those that are under your charge. And you're also to provide Christian education to your children. And then there are the responsibilities of children. Found in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6. And those responsibilities to the children are to commit yourself to the Lord. To close with Christ and to receive Him by faith. They're to grow in the Lord. And children are to honor their parents and obey them. And then there are responsibilities to singles. This is found in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 through 9. If you're called to marriage, and the majority of people are, if you're called to marriage, then prepare yourself for marriage. Make sure you are able to provide for a wife. Make sure you are willing to submit to a husband. Have your affairs in order. It's a really bad move to start a marriage with a lot of debt. Number one cause of divorce in uh In America, number one reason for divorce is financial problems. That's not a biblical reason for divorce. And I'm not saying that it is, I'm saying that it's a big problem for marriages. If you're having trouble finding a spouse, but you desire one, are you making yourself available? Are you going where other singles are? 99% of the time, a single man or a single woman is not just going to drop down in front of you and ask to spend the rest of their life with you. And if they do, you might want to run. Are you engaging with other singles? Are you engaging with other Christian singles? Are you engaging with other Reformed singles? Are you engaging with other Reformed Presbyterian singles? Have you made yourself available? Have you made yourself desirable? If every day you look like you just rolled out of bed and you haven't showered in three days or you're still wearing your pajama pants, Chances are, you're probably not going to find a spouse. There are things for you to do. There are things for you to do to try and and, and pursue marriage if you desire it, if you're called to marriage. The first thing, I don't care how pretty she is, I don't care how cute he is. I don't care how much money he has. I don't care how fun she is. The first thing that you ought to consider when considering a spouse, does she love the Lord? Does he love the Lord? Men, here's one to really consider because it's really bad in our culture today. Is she what the Proverbs call a loud woman? There's a lot in our world today. Women, is he a bum? one who's lazy and will not provide for his family because Scripture says he's worse than an unbeliever. So there's responsibilities in having this stage of life called singleness. But there are some people who are not called to marriage, some people who the Lord calls to a life of singleness. And if you have the gift of singleness, then you are to use it for the Lord. It is those that are made eunuchs of of their own choosing for the service of the kingdom. It's not being single because I want to be able to do whatever I want. It's not being single because I want to be able to travel the world. It's not being single because I don't want to have to share my money. or Families are expensive. Or I want to be able to go to the ball game on a Tuesday afternoon, and I know that if I'm married, I wouldn't be able to do that. you're called to a life of singleness it's singleness for the kingdom of God and you must you must use your singleness for that
1: Absolutely. I can't guarantee anything, But um, I, it's, it's, I know I know it's people so I just I, I that, uh, to your mm-hmm. In that, in
0: that Family camp, international conference, uh, any of these type of things where you know large amounts of people are going to be there, there's probably going to be greater amounts of singles. Find them. Strike up conversations. You don't know what the Lord will do. All right. So that involves our responsibilities in those areas of life. Let's kind of shift focus now to talk about our practice of visitation, home visitation, and this is something that I've tried and tried to to do here, um, but it, it's proving to be difficult. And so I ask you to to listen. To the importance of this. Acts twenty twenty says, I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. As part of our shepherding the congregation, we desire to conduct annual home visits. That's our desire. I want to meet in the home every person, every member of this congregation within a calendar year, every year, at least once. And I think we're small enough that that's possible to do twice a year. And the reason I say in the home is because I also would like to see how you conduct family worship or private worship in the home. And if you need help with that, I'm there and I'm able to help you with it. These visits are not an inquisition We're not trying to seek out the secret sins and the crevices of your heart in order to then put you on trial. They're a way to seek to help you in your faith, to know where you're struggling, to know how we can assist you and shepherd you better. We would inquire about your walk with the Lord in the past year, and if there are spiritual matters that uh, that we might help with, And then we ask for your feedback on the ministry of the church. That's it. We want to shepherd you and know how best to serve you. And then there is a calling upon every one of us to seek to win others to Christ. Begin first by winning your family to Christ. If you have a family, if you have kids, and they are not believers, they have not made a profession of faith, your first and foremost mission field is your own home. Seek to win your family to Christ. And then look to win your neighbors to Christ. So here's some suggestions. Invite them into your homes and show hospitality. Invite them to church to hear Christ crucified in the preaching. When you see someone hurting, speak to them about your Savior. And then when we go out to do outreach and evangelism, help with that as you can. Hand out tracts. Speak of the hope that you have in the Lord to those who come by you. Speak about the damnable nature of sin and speak about your Savior who frees you from that sin. Remember the faithful saying of 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Pray with those who may have prayer needs. Be willing to pray with people. Hand out Bibles to those who need them. If we go door to door, go with us. Be willing to engage our neighbors here in this community. That's part of your calling as a Christian and part of what you would vow in this covenant of communicant membership. And then to close, we're to look forward to that last great day. Query number seven. Do you make this profession of faith and purpose in the presence of God in humble reliance upon His grace as you desire to give your account with joy in the last great day? Are you making these vows before God and relying upon Him and trusting Him so that you can give your account with joy in that last great day. That's what this is asking. And it is trusting in Christ because He is the one who brings you to that last great day. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to. The last great day when we're welcomed into glory and with our Lord forevermore. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Revelation 19.7 Adorn yourselves with good works. Make yourselves Ready the bride of Christ for that last great day is coming and there will be a great wedding feast we are out of time but I do want to allow uh, really quickly for the next three minutes any questions or comments about this last section Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Look at what's being taught in public schools. Gender identity. Made-up pronouns. Sex education to elementary school students. Why would you? You know, there was a point where public school actually did what public school was supposed to do, and that was teach. Now they indoctrinate. One of of my favorite sayings, and I don't know where it comes from, but it says, why would you send your children to Caesar and then be shocked when they come back as Romans? Or let's put it in our terms. Why would you send your kids to the pagan public school system and then be surprised when they come back as pagans? Yeah, it's they them. You know, it, public school is a wicked thing. People oftentimes ask, "Well, what about? Why can't we do public school? You know, what would we do without public school?" You know, well, there's private school, but that can be expensive. And then there's homeschooling, which people think is too hard, but it's not. There are good curriculums to use, reformed curriculums to use. So, when he says it's easy, there, there's still a lot of work to do. Hmm. I don't, I don't want to say it's easy. Anyone can do it. True. Anyone can do it. And guess what? Public schools haven't always been a thing. For most of church history, People were educated by the church or at home, i.e. Christian schools or homeschooling.
1: you you, you expected to know all those before you went to college went to, to university, went to, to Harvard. And um, but you respect expected to know all those languages. They learned a And they learned all, and you learn them all that the of the mission. So uh, what we expect for our children today is really dumb down. I mean, how many here know three people are Latin? I studied a little bit
0: So um you know we we're chosen really dumbed down and uh, they continue to dumb it in so that the children don't have the ability to sleep. don't no I can back to the best now on education. Yeah, pub public school is what's contributing to the dumbing down of society. Absolutely. But not just that. Public school is what's contributing to the apostatizing. Of covenant children. And it's not just K through 12 public school. I think that's bad. But it's the university as well. How many times. Do you see an 18 year old girl. Who for all appearances. Looks like a sweet godly young woman. Go off to a public university. And then a year later she comes back with half her hair cut off, the other half dyed green, a nose ring, and a girlfriend. We shouldn't be sending our children to public universities. And if you're paying for their education, you have a say in where they go. unless they have completely left your roof, unless they have completely cut themselves off financially from you, you're not paying any of their bills, you're not providing for their resources, you're not paying for their school, you have every right to tell your child you're not going to the University of Illinois. You're not going to Northwestern, sorry, Roman. All right. That's all I don't know. Let me also say that God uses those universities. Roman being involved with the former Christian fellowship and use
1: different of his life. So God, let's just say, in spite of I know one young man who went to Maharishi University. If you're not familiar with it, it's out in Iowa. And uh, it is about as non-Christian as you can get. And he became a Christian. And it's now he's just become a pastor. becoming a pastor. I think he call He he attended church here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, like I got to know it. This testimony was just a Christian and Mod Rishi University. And it's a it's a fascinating story. God, God used even that
0: So like I went to a super public university. I mean, that was a really godless
1: institution for sure. But I mean, isn't
0: like aren't the Ivy League schools like also like really important? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So even if it's a private, you know. Yeah. So yeah, Northwest Northwestern is private, and and you know, we can talk about even the evangelical universities like Wheaton College, which is having its own fair share of troubles. You know, at this point it's almost not worth going to university. You know, you'd you'd be better served doing online certifications in IT and getting an IT job making a hundred thousand dollars because you've got six certifications. We don't care what your degree is. They care what you know. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, in, in most, most of the classes we did online, and again, the it's still it
1: stood you still going to be a doctor. Yeah. Depending on the class. If you're, if you're going to try to get a baker in Jimmy's house, you're going to be a doctor. I um. always <laughs> find know if mine was like She grew up in a Catholic, you know, nice girl. And then now she's like super liberal. Oh. And the Congress, for the U.S. Congress. Oh, okay. So she is now into like education. So she's all into like the critical race degree mm-hmm. and
0: transgenderism, and, like being all that. She grew up Catholic. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we went past yeah. even the extended time that I wanted. to. So uh, we can we can continue to discuss this topic during our lunch time but we need to we need to close now so Roman can I get you to close us in prayer
1: for to propose to you and our students there were in all, these